This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, our guest is equine nutritionist Juliet Getty, author of the new book, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse. Juliet's going to talk to us about feeding horses the way nature designed them to eat. We'll be right back with Juliet after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to equine nutritionist Juliet Getty. Hi, Juliet. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Sure. It's great for you to be here. First off, I wanted to talk about the horse's digestive system and how it was designed by nature for the horse's optimum benefit. We have a tendency to feed horses the way we eat, you know, two or three meals a day. Actually, they weren't meant to be fed that way, were they? No, not at all. And hence the title of my book, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse and Not Any Other Creature, Including Ourselves. Horses are really rather unique uh, unlike most other animals on this planet, they are considered non-ruminant herbivores. Uh, herbivores because they eat only plant material. And plant material is predominantly fiber. If you were to eat something high in fiber, um, say a salad, it would pass through your system undigested because you do not produce the enzymes necessary to break apart the bonds that exist in fiber. However, the horse has a large fermentation vat known as the cecum. It's toward the end of the digestive tract, so hence it's called the hind gut as opposed to the foregut. So when a horse eats hay or pasture, um, he's able to digest the carbohydrates, the protein, and the fat that's 
exists in that hay in the foregut. But when the fibrous portion reaches the hindgut or the cecum, there exists literally billions of bacteria and other microbes that do produce the digestive enzymes necessary to ferment that hay and produce calories from it. So they are able to eat plant material. Now, the non-ruminant aspect of their physiology is the fact that they are very different from ruminant animals such as cows, sheep, goats, llamas, and these animals are able to ruminate, meaning they're able to swallow, chew their food and swallow it and then regurgitate it and swallow it again and ferment it over and over and over again in a huge fermentation vat that's early on in the digestive system. Whereas the horse cannot regurgitate and the fiber has to go all the way to the end. So fiber digestion is really rather inefficient. And so a horse needs a constant supply of fiber going through his digestive tract nearly all the time to keep the motility up, to provide the energy that he needs. And lastly, to allow him to chew because a horse's stomach, unlike our own, produces acid all the time. We only produce acid when we eat. But a horse has acid always secreted in the stomach. The reason for this is because horses are designed to graze small amounts virtually 22 out of 24 hours a day. And chewing produces saliva, which neutralizes that acid, thereby preventing things like colic, ulcers, and even laminitis. So again, forage in the form of hay or pasture needs to be flowing through the digestive tract continuously to keep him healthy. Then feral horses, they eat the way wild horses did before they were domesticated and before we you know, made them into what they are today. Um, how do they eat compared to captive horses? Well, they had a lot of variety, first of all. They were able to eat a vast number of feedstuffs, uh, not just grasses, but seeds and flowers and nuts and uh, berries and leaves and tree bark and so on. So they got um, many, many nutrients that domesticated horses often fail to get. So we didn't, we don't uh, see nutritional gaps in feral horses. Um, also, they're able to chew on a lot of rough stuff. So that wears down the points that can form uh, on the teeth. And domesticated horses need to have their teeth floated um, generally once a year, sometimes more frequently than that, simply because they don't get the opportunity to eat a lot of um, hard things. And uh, finally, feral horses don't have the stress that we inflict on uh, domesticated horses, some more than others, but because they're allowed to travel with uh, others in their herd, they um, are able to protect each other. Horses are um, uh, herd animals and they need the company of others in order to protect themselves, in order for them to rest while one lies down, the other one keeps watch. And this makes them healthier in the long run. Uh, so they don't develop stress-related disorders like ulcers and colic uh, and even laminitis. These things generally don't happen 
um, in a natural setting. They are a consequence of the way we feed them and house them and treat them in general. When I hear you describe this, what comes to mind is I, I wonder why we don't have more issues health issues with our horses than we do i mean we already do have quite a bit but i mean some horses will be fed twice a day their entire lives and never colic um whereas others you know it's an ongoing problem but it's just amazing to me that they don't all colic well colic is not the only issue sometimes horses will colic and you may not even know it colic is just a a term for a wide variety of digestive order um, uh, disorders, rather, digestive disorders that can occur anywhere from just a mild gas attack to uh, a torsion or an impaction. But you're right about the fact that horses do seem to adjust, but they don't do very well for very long. These horses that are not fed the way that their, that their um, physiology dictates uh, age more quickly, and you can see that this horse may be old by the time he's 16 or 17. Um, they don't recover from exercise as, as quickly as they ought to. They suffer from inflammation uh, from joints and muscles, and they don't um, bounce back as readily. They develop uh, immune system problems where if you travel with them to a, a, an unfamiliar location, they're more inclined to develop an infection than a horse that's fed properly. And they can develop erosions in the digestive tract over time. Some of them can get very serious. Some of them can remain rather mild, and the horse will have discomfort, and it will manifest itself as a behavioral issue. And oftentimes the owner will think, oh, my horse just doesn't like to work, or he's lazy, or he doesn't listen to me, or he has a poor attention span, or what have you, when actually it's none of those things. It's basically physical and mental discomfort. Interesting. So it's not as apparent um, as, as, you, as you may think, but it's, it's there. Right. So given what you're telling us, how can we best create a natural diet for our horses? Well, the basic, the basic approach is to first feed forage all the time. And when I say forage, I mean pasture or hay, free choice. And for many folks, this is the most difficult concept to grasp because they fear that their horse will become overweight when actually it actually works in reverse. An overweight animal will stay overweight when stressed by not being able to eat. And standing there for hours without anything in his stomach is physically uncomfortable and mentally stressful, and that results in a hormonal change. Um, cortisol, which is a stress hormone, is released, and that results in insulin resistance. And when insulin is elevated because of insulin resistance, the cells hold on to fat and they will not let it go. But when you allow a horse to eat the way his body was intended, the way in tune with his natural instincts, if you give him all the hay he wants, a lot of hay, not just more. If you give him more, he'll eat more. If you give him all he wants, more than you think he'll ever want to eat, the first mm, two or three days, he'll eat a lot. But don't let that scare you because once he sees that he has enough and he can walk away, take a nap, visit with a friend, and so on, and come back and it's still there, 
his innate instincts start to kick in. He starts to calm down, his hormonal levels change, and he starts to eat what he needs to maintain condition. You know, we hear, oh, feed your horse, oh, one and a half to two and a half percent of body weight of forage or whatever statistic you'd like to use. But when left to their own devices, left to their own instincts, they actually end up eating just that. They eat what their body needs to maintain condition. So you ask, what's a natural diet? All the forage or hay that they want. And there's one caveat that I need to mention. If you have an insulin-resistant horse, whether he be overweight or have Cushing's or any other uh, polysaccharide disorder where he needs to have a low level of sugar and starch, you cannot just start feeding all the grass hay he wants. You have to have it tested and make sure that the non-structural carbohydrate level is less than 12%. When you have a safe hay to feed, then you can feed it free choice to that type of an animal. What about people that board their horses? How, how could they do this? Well, boarding has its challenges. Certainly turnout is the best in terms of reducing stress and preventing ulcers. If you take a horse that's used to being turned out and uh, suddenly uh, confining him in a stall, he will more than likely develop an ulcer within one to two weeks. That's been shown again and again. A horse that's used to being stalled, however, um, can be managed, but he has to have hay available to chew on all the time. Otherwise, he'll start to chew on whatever he can. Again, chewing produces saliva, which is a natural antacid, and if he cannot chew, he won't produce that saliva. So a horse that stands in a stall for hours without anything to eat will start to drool to make more saliva. He'll start to chew on, on the gate. He'll start to express uh, discomfort by pawing. He may start to crib or wind suck, uh, weaving in the, in the stall. He may even eat his own manure. And the reason for that, it's not a nutritional deficiency. He just needs to chew. That's the reason he will choose to, to eat his own manure because of that uh, necessity to produce saliva. Mm-hmm. So again, in the stall, a, a stalled horse needs to um, be taken care of in terms of his stress level, physical and mental, and physically have enough hay so that he doesn't run out. And the only way to know that he has enough is if there's some left over in the morning. If you go see your horse in the morning and he's pawing and kicking and eager to eat, he is suffering. And he needs to have enough hay so that there is some left in his stall in the morning. And then and, then and only then can he calm down. Hmm. Okay. So for people who are boarding their horses and, you know, they're at a barn where they get fed twice a day, do you have any suggestions how they can try to make this work? Well, when you say fed twice a day, do you mean um, given hay twice a day or given, say, a concentrated meal? Well, I'm, I'm thinking... I'm thinking hay twice a day because um, most of the people I know, that's their situation. Well, um, I come across this often, more often than I would like, of course. But there are barn managers that have educated themselves to understand that a horse's digestive system requires forage flowing through it at all times. And when 
um, I have a client whose barn manager doesn't understand that, but my client chooses to do it. I generally have the barn manager give me a call and ask me about his or her horses, wanting to know how to do this. Because once you see it, once you see that uh, hay free choice actually results in weight loss or weight gain if the horse is underweight, uh, a change in behavior, a calmer demeanor, a healthier horse in general, then you're convinced. And the only reason I preach this is because I have seen it hundreds of times. Everything I say today and what's in my book is based on what I have worked with um, firsthand. And I would never suggest to do something that was potentially dangerous. But it's because I have seen this over and over and over again. So to answer your question, education is the best way. Because many barn managers, um, they have the horse's interest at heart. I know that. It's not that they want to harm the horse. But they just may not be aware of the fact that just because it's been done this way for the last hundred years doesn't mean that that's the right way. I mean, horses have been around for literally millions of years, and they've done quite well when left to be fed or to feed on their own all they want all day long. It's only recently that we started feeding them this way, mm-hmm. and it's therefore we start to see all these medical problems. Right. I'm imagining that there might be some resistance from barn managers because of the financial issues, thinking that they're going to have to be feeding twice as much hay. Well, look, a vet bill is a whole lot more expensive than any bale of hay. And then not, not just the financial aspect of a vet bill, but the emotional trauma of seeing your horse ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're using your horse uh, for financial means, then that's a, a loss as well. There's nothing that beats health for financial um, prosperity. Um, um, yeah, unless you're talking you know. to a barn manager who's all they think about is I'm going to have to spend twice as much money on hay feeding all these, free feeding all these horses that belong to my clients. You know? Yes, well, if you can educate the clients, which is what I do on a regular basis, I consult with horse owners all the time. If you educate the clients, then they're the ones that end up spending more money. So usually they can work out an agreement with their barn manager and say, well, I want my horse to have all the hay he he wants, and I'm willing to pay for it. And you mm-hmm. know something? At first, you think it's going to cost a lot. But if you feed, say, say you have a 1,000-pound horse and you feed 2% of his body weight, so 20 pounds of hay a day in two meals, you divide it up into two 10-pound meals, that horse is going to want to eat more. He'll inhale what you give him, and the next meal he'll just devour it quickly. But if you feed all he wants, he's going to eat 20 pounds a day after about a week or two. I can virtually guarantee it, maybe up to 25 pounds. But the point is is that it's not going to be a significantly uh, increased amount of hay once he can Mm self-regulate. And horses do self-regulate if given the chance. So really, financially, it doesn't amount to much more in the long run or even in the short run, actually. Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear because I think people, a lot of people's first reaction is, oh, I don't have money to spend on more hay, you know. 
Well, I'm, right now I just uh, rescued a horse that um, was fed that way, and I'm giving her all the hay she wants. And the first day she ate literally 70 pounds of hay, the whole bale. <laughs> the next day it was down to much less. And it's been about two weeks, and now she's eating well, maybe two flakes a day. Wow. Well, it's not much. Right, she right. She's not a very large horse. So yeah. what I'm trying to say is, is that at first she was just, oh, my gosh, it's like a kid in a candy shop. Uh-huh. But then after a while, it's, oh, let me just eat what I need. Right, and so it's just getting past that initial um, seeing them devouring all that hay and thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going to have to do for feeding the bale of hay every day. <laughs> yeah, at, at, first, at first it is a little disconcerting watching right. it so much, but it doesn't right. last, I promise. Okay, well, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after this to talk to Juliet about what kind of hay you should be giving your horse. We'll be right back after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon Horsin' Around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet we know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to equine nutritionist Juliet Getty. Julia, before we start talking about the type of hay, I wanted to get your opinion about slow feeders. Those are feeders designed to provide unlimited hay, that, um, and so they slow down the horse's consumption rate. What do you think of those? Well, they can be worthwhile, but they can also be very dangerous. And the way you know is just to look at your horse. Um, if your horse is fine with it, if you've allowed your horse to become accustomed to being, uh, to eating self, according to his instincts, to self-regulate, then giving him a slow feeder, um, is beneficial as long as he remains calm. However, if it's stressful, if the horse starts to, um, pull on the, the hay net or, uh, the feeder in an attempt to get more, if it becomes, um, a problem for this horse, then you're defeating your purpose because a horse that is stressed will produce, again, the cortisol levels which raise insulin. And here's the real warning, and often these um, slow feeders are given to horses, say, that uh, suffer from chronic uh, laminitis or founder. If a horse is stressed, he will have a laminitis relapse. And that's because of the cortisol reaction. Cortisol equals insulin elevation. Elevated insulin equals laminitis. 
and the good intentions of the owner to help the horse, they lose weight if the horse is overweight by slowing down the feeding and putting that horse in a stressful situation actually causes him to founder again. And so we end up with repeated cases of laminitis and you're never going to stop them unless the horse is allowed to get all the hay that he wants. And if a free choice, or a slow feeder rather, is um, offering him free choice and he's calm and happy about it, then that's great. I wonder if maybe the initial free feeding could happen just without the slow feeder and then once the horse has calmed down about getting his meal, then maybe move to a slow feeder. That would be my recommendation. That's exactly right. Because first mm-hmm. get the horse to self-regulate and then offer less hay. The slow feeders work nicely when a horse is eating, say, out of boredom. Like if he is confined to a stall, sometimes horses will eat more than they normally would just because they have nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And in that case, the, anything that slows it down is, is worthwhile. Right. Again, watch the stress level. Okay. Let's talk about hay. How do we know what type of hay to feed our horses, especially for free feeding them? Well, if, again, if your horse needs to watch his sugar and starch intake, it's always a good idea to have your hay analyzed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this can be done at a county extension service. Um, it can be mailed off to uh, Dairy One or Equianalytical Labs. Uh, these are national laboratories that have a fine reputation. But... Um, Basically, there are three types of hay. Uh, there are grasses, which uh, most people are familiar with, and depending on where you live, uh, you may have timothy or, or uh, bermuda or orchard grass or brome, even fescue, which I'm not too thrilled about, but uh, fescue is um, another grass hay. And then you have uh, legumes. Alfalfa is your most common. Uh, clover, of course, is a legume. And uh, in Florida, we have something that's um, called um, uh, Florida alfalfa. What it is is perennial peanut hay, and it's just like alfalfa. And legumes are not grasses. They are um, a different type of plant that has a different amino acid profile, amino acids being the uh, building blocks of protein. And when you feed a legume with a grass hay, they actually complement each other, creating a high-quality protein. And this is very important. Crude protein that you read on a label or if you have your hay analyzed, that percentage doesn't tell you anything about the quality. It's just a measurement of nitrogen. But if you mix a legume with a grass, you create a high-quality protein, and that gives the horse the building blocks to repair tissue, to build new tissue, to have healthy hooves and skin and hair, but also to have a healthy liver and blood proteins and heart and blood vessels and so on. Um, So this is important. And I mentioned there were three types. The third type of hay is not as common, but these are grain hays. These are the foliage made um, produced from uh, grains like oat hay or wheat or rye. These are all cereal grains. And the hay often has uh, some of these grain kernels mixed in with it. And while that may be okay for some horses, if you need to watch your starch level, then those are not appropriate. So I like to feed a grass hay free choice and then offer a legume such as alfalfa 
um, 20 to 30 percent of the total hay ration. There are areas of the country where they feed exclusively alfalfa. Uh, California, I have some clients there, Arizona. This is not a good idea because 100% alfalfa can cause colic due to the formation of stones called enteroliths, which form in the um, intestines and uh, can cause an impaction. So never more than half alfalfa um, mm-hmm. is your best bet. Right. We, I'm in California, and there's a lot of boarding stables that uh, feed only alfalfa because that is the cheapest hay to buy. Well, so, it's the most prevalent, sure. Right. Sure. And it's, um, we have a big problem with enterolis out here, I guess also because they, uh, our water is hard, and I guess combination of the alfalfa and the hard water creates right. stones. Well, that's true. If you have uh, a high level of magnesium, for example, uh, in relationship to calcium, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. And also the pH can get very um, high. One uh, kind of little uh, nifty trick is to add some apple cider vinegar to a horse's water or it could be added to a meal um, say a com- if you're feeding any type of commercial feed or concentrates. And that does um, lower the pH of the uh, hindgut just a tad um, mm-hmm. and helps prevent enterolis, not entirely, but uh, to some extent. The other thing I wanted to ask you was people who don't buy their own hay, either they're boarding or in, in case like uh, where I live, I live in an equine community where we all buy from the feed store. If the feed store does not test their hay, I understand there are ways you can kind of get a general idea of what the breakdown is of hay in your area. Is that true? Really, you cannot tell by looking at it. Certainly your hay that you choose should be um, have a good color, should not be brown, should not be dusty or moldy. Um, these things you want to make sure that uh, the, the crying hay, um, say every week, um, a different batch, then it makes analyzing it uh, inconvenient and certainly costly. Uh, usually you'd have to have at least three months of a supply um, to make it worth your while to, to evaluate it. But some feed stores do test their hay uh, batches. Some uh, hay manufacturers will test their hay before uh, shipping it out and provide that um, report to the feed store. Uh, You need to ask because Mm -hmm. they don't often offer that information. Right, and probably ask uh, the manager. Ask yeah, for the you store need to manager. ask someone who might know, right. because they often have it, and they just file it away, and they just really don't even think to, to bring it out. But some people think, oh, the first cutting is a better one than the second cutting. The cutting really doesn't say much about the quality. What does is the maturity of the hay. So a mature first cutting can be of less quality than a immature second cutting, Cutting just means how many batches of hay they get out of that plot of land. But when they cut it has more to do with the quality of the hay. So an immature cutting will have uh, less uh, indigestible fiber called Mm -hmm. lignin. As a plant ages, it puts on more of this indigestible fiber, reducing the feed value of the hay. Mm -hmm. Um, A more uh, immature cutting will be softer, more leafy, and have generally have uh, more minerals, uh, 
and uh, slightly more protein. Now, the sugar level, this also has to do with when the hay is cut and under what conditions, and that's a really difficult thing to uh, ascertain unless you know the person that's harvesting the hay. But generally speaking, hay that's cut late in the afternoon on a sunny day will have more sugar and starch than hay that's cut first thing in the morning. Uh, hay that's cut uh, when the nighttime temperatures are cold, less than 40 degrees, will have a higher sugar content. Or if there's been a drought, anything that stresses the grass is going to raise the sugar and starch levels. Mm. So, and sometimes, like I said, that, that information is often difficult to obtain. Right, right. I think what we can do is try to contact our feed stores if we're not able to have the hay tested ourselves and just see if they're testing it. Find out, too, I have heard if you contact your extension agent, they can tell you averages for hay in your, in your area. Yeah. Well, sure. Um, if, you, if it's grown locally, mm-hmm. um, then there are averages, and, and the county extension service generally tests grasses and pasture throughout the year and can give you some information but make sure that it's grown locally some feed stores will have it imported from the next state or right um, many many miles away right well unfortunately that's all the time we have for today juliet thank you for being my guest today this was really informative it makes me want to go outside and throw some hay (laughs) some more hay to my horses Um, well, the key is not more. The key is free choice. <laughs> right. Well, they probably finished what I gave them for lunch, so they need more now. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the process of, of doing this right now with my horses, putting them on free choice. Excellent. So, yeah. So I want to encourage everyone to take a look at the episode notes page on the Horsing Around website for a link to Juliet's website and more information about her book, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, which has the kind of information we've been talking about today, plus a lot more stuff. It's a really good book, so please check it out. If you have any questions or comments about Horsing Around, please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com. Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time every week on Horsing Around, on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.